Uh-huh. I just feel like I've been around the block, ripping up fantasy stock, working around the clock. Look at the view from the top. Researching rookies a lot? No, I just be listening to pods. Yeah, one in particular. I'm just a messenger. Let me just pass on the rock. Browning, running, bruning, pronouncing ain't what he's doing. What he's doing is not losing, but infusing you with new things. And there's Dennis the Bennett. Yeah, the man is a menace. Yeah, building a dynasty. Some of the finest things. Promise you, you won't regret it. Sly as a fox, cultured in pop, give him his props. Here is a thought, here is a box, and you cannot compare him at all, so don't even try. Careful with the news, but when you use a take, I take up Tony Fire, I mean dire, because anyone else is a huge mistake. Whoa, fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table, yeah, fantasy round table, come take a look at the crown, baby. Hey, fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table, fantasy round table, come take a look at the crown, baby, go. What is going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast. We are with Camps to Canton now, so I got to start getting used to saying that. We are thrilled to be over there. Obviously, Matt and myself have been there for a while now, but we're finally bringing the podcast over. Dennis is coming with us. Uh, As I mentioned in my tweet earlier this week, you're going to see a couple changes coming from us, maybe a new intro, new logo. We're going to do a whole new transition coming over to the website. I do want to thank Ricky and the Music City um, Network and the Driving Podcast Network that we were with beforehand. They were they were amazing to us. And not not that we wanted to leave them, but it looked like uh, just easier for, for us to kind of keep everything smaller circles, I guess is the way to put it. It was just some different stuff going on for us. So thrilled to, to be joining them. I mean, again, I'm, I'm, as a co-founder of the website, it's been fun doing that stuff. And we've had Matt over there for a little while, helping us with our dynasty content. So excited for that. We will be talking about the AFC East though today, Patriots and Jets on tap for today's episode. Before we get going though, Matt, how are you doing on this beautiful Thursday? Doing pretty good, bracing for the heat wave here. And, uh, you know, I think new logo, we talked the concept, probably a few tasteful nudes. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, We were just talking beforehand how uh, it's been, like, unseasonably nice here in Texas. And, um, you know, and – I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm not – I don't know how – I think it's actually supposed to be hot next week. And then I'm on my way to Disney, so that'll be – Wonderful. We're supposed to, they said usually on average our first 90 degree a day. And, you know, this is where Dennis sold his shirt. He talked about uh, in a post to somebody that we have redraft and dynasty cover. And between you and me, we cover Marvel and DC. I'm really upset that he also forgot to mention that we're a part-time weather podcast for the nation. Very but they mentioned here, usually the first 90 degree day comes like by around June 21st. It's supposed to be Possibly Saturday, if not next Wednesday, supposed to be ninety three. Which you've been here, ninety three here is like one hundred and twenty in the California desert. Yeah, and I will also say uh, I was wrong. Of course, it's also supposed to rain here again for the next ten effing days, and it has not stopped raining in Texas for like two months. Uh, but hey, the weather is like high eighty or not even. It's like mid eighties all next week. So I guess in June I'll take that over 110, but I'm, I'm it's like so bad here with the rain. It's ridiculous. My grass, I feel like I just cut it yesterday and it already looks like a jungle outside again. It's just it's, yeah. it's frustrating. But that's what happens during monsoon season here. You cut it and then it rains and it grows like three inches a day. I 
I spent two and a half hours because uh, my wife's family was coming to stay with us. Two and a half hours doing the yard last week. I was looking at it today. I did it on Friday morning last week. It looks like it hasn't been done in a year. Yep. Yeah, that is unfortunately where I'm at as well. Got to get a lot of stuff done as uh, Mickey waits for nobody. And I do need to hurry up and get all of my stuff done so that the wife is not mad. I should just call her the wife. I hear that women don't like that. My beautiful, amazing, wonderful, incredible wife would be very mad at me if I don't get everything done that I need to before we go. So New England Patriots. 2020, they finished 7-8 and eight in, in third place in the East. Their key additions, they added tight ends, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. Wide receiver Nelson Aguilar, wide receiver Kendrick Bourne. Matthew Judon, the outside linebacker. Kyle Van Noy, the linebacker. Davon, uh, it's Godchow. Godchow, the defensive end. And Jalen Mills, the safety. Key losses, Julian Edelman, who retired. Jason McCourty, the cornerback, went to the Dolphins. Joe Thune went to the Kansas City Chiefs. The draft picks, they took Mac Jones in the first round, quarterback out of Alabama. Christian Barrymore, the defensive tackle in the second. Ronnie Perkins, the defensive end in the third. And Ramon Dre Stevenson, the running back in the fourth round. The Patriots struggled in 2020 and went wild in free agency and the offseason. Are they greatly improved, though, Matt? It was amazing last year to see the Patriots not even really in contention, didn't even make it back to 500, even in the Tom Brady era, the season that he missed with his uh, his ACL tear. Matt Castle had that team. I think they were 11-5 and five and just missed the playoffs because it was a numbers yep. game. You know, the wheels really came off the dynasty bandwagon. I think we were all curious how it was going to work. Cam Newton probably wasn't the guy I would have naturally picked as a great fit with um, Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, uh, who I will give the courtesy of saying his name instead of he who shall not be named, even though I think that would be more accurate uh, considering what he did to Denver. But Cam Newton never really looked the same. Uh, last year didn't look like he was totally recovered, didn't look like he totally fit. It was a strange COVID season, but the Patriots just seemed to be kind of in a funk. James White had that horrible tragedy with his parents, missed a chunk in the middle of the season. I know that that was it took an emotional toll. Julian Edelman got hurt. They had had so many people opt out. They were, you know, as we were heading into last uh, season, it seemed like every day one or two Patriots were opting out. and You knew it was going to be tough. But this, I don't think I was prepared. I have not seen the Patriots probably in the last couple of decades on the kind of spending spree that we saw them going on. They were the major power players in free agency. They picked up some interesting pieces. I think their defense is going to be greatly improved. Um, you know, they struggled defensively last year. They they did suffer a couple of people retiring, a couple of people leave, but they've picked up a lot of pieces. I think it's going to be improved. The offense could be greatly improved. It was an interesting where they spent their money. It's interesting where they spent their draft picks. I don't know how you felt, but I was more than mildly surprised that they brought Cam Newton back. I thought that that was kind of a one-year experiment that they were going to move on from. But they, you know, they've said nice things about him. They did take Mac Jones. I expect we're going to see him at some point. I think the Patriots will be a better team in some ways, I think they still end up falling short of the playoffs. 
Yeah, defensively, I always thought they were going to bounce back just because, as you mentioned, the injuries, the the opt-outs, I think, really hurt them. And I, I don't, I actually don't think their defense was as bad as maybe we think it was uh, overall last year. I mean, when you have Cam Newton not doing much on the offense, some of the turnovers that they had, it, it kind of hurt your defense overall. The Cam Newton thing, I was not, I was kind of at first, but then when you heard Bill Belichick rarely goes out of his way to talk nice about players. And he did. He propped up Cam Newton, talked about how he'd love to have him back. And so I did think that that meant something to him and to Cam Newton. I've been kind of defending Cam Newton at times, talking about, you know, he joined the Patriots very late in the process last year, did get COVID, Josh McDaniels and Cam Newton. Cam Newton, I think, was on the, I think it's the I Am Athlete podcast is what it's called, where he talked about just like how difficult it is to learn that playbook for a whole season and not to mention he got i think weeks i, I don't remember when he did not sign much before the season kicked off he, he did not it was much time. late during preseason because a lot yeah. of people had started drafts even redrafts thinking jared stidham was going to be a steal yeah. so i i do think that he's got a chance to improve now granted i will say on top of that his play overall was not inspiring so maybe that is where a lot of people are fading him but i think that he can be good enough for this offense to bring them over 500. Now, will they make the playoffs? That I don't know because I don't love the team offensively they have around him. I, I don't – not sold on really any of the wide receivers, running backs. Yeah. I like Harris a lot, but uh, they've – again, same thing. They've got just a bunch of guys, in my opinion, in that backfield. You know, the tight ends are great. When is Kevin but see, that was kind of the of problem last year. It wasn't just that – Cam Newton didn't have a lot of time to adjust the Patriots. I mean, that was arguably one of the reasons Brady struggled in his final season and was looking to move on. They had a not good set of weapons. I mean, I know they spent a first round draft pick on Nikhil Harry. That didn't pan out. Spent a first round draft pick, I believe, for Sony Michelle. That hasn't exactly panned out. It's not that they haven't tried to make moves. Last year, they drafted two tight ends, and I would spread it was if either of them makes the roster this year. It just it never looked right. So Cam Newton, it's it's a little bit hard to know. Did he fall off that much as a passer, or did he have no weapons, or is it a combination of both? Yeah. Well, I definitely think not having any weapons played into it. And I, unfortunately, like we just talked about, don't really see much improvement there. I mean, again, I like Janu, I like Hunter Henry, but I, I don't see either one of those guys finishing as like a even wide receiver two when it comes to points uh, at the tight end position. So it, it's, the Patriots are an intriguing team. Maybe they just end up running the ball a ton and finding out a way to make the, the the team relevant that way. You know, for you, we know they drafted Cam, uh, well, not Cam Newton. They have Cam Newton. They drafted Mac Jones. So do you think Cam Newton is the answer full into 2021? Do you think he gets replaced? And if so, do either one of these quarterbacks take the Patriots to the playoffs? I don't think the Patriots go to the playoffs in 2021. I feel pretty confident they're probably going to end up in that 8-10 to 10 win range and be on the periphery and just out. The question of when – I think Mac Jones will play at some point, whether it's due to an injury or whether it's due to them needing to make a change. Probably part of – I knew that Bill Belichick respected Cam Newton. Cam Newton respected Bill Belichick. Part of the reason I wondered – I was a little more of an eyebrow raise at them bringing back because it seemed like a few times down the stretch they removed him because of performance, that they were 
not of the opinion that he was going to be able to do it. I think it's going to depend when we see Mac Jones is going to depend on what he looks like in camp, how quickly he's able to pick up the offense and where they are sitting in relation to the playoffs as you get into October and November, because I think it's going to be tough for Belichick to see missing the playoffs two years in a row. They're going to do everything they possibly can to get in and they have a chance. I personally just don't think they're going to make it, but if you, if they're in the end of October and early November and they're kind of on the fringe or looking on the outside, looking in and they're not getting a, a dynamic performance from Cam Newton, I think they will make a change. Yeah, I do expect to see Mac Jones to play at some point in time this year as well. I I hope – well, see, I, I really don't want to say I hope it's because of bad play either because I don't want to see Cam Newton play bad, but I hope it's no. not because of injury. So I guess if Mac Jones ends up on the field, it's because Cam Newton is playing bad. I'm with you, and I think I just said a minute ago, I think they finished around 500. They can't finish 500 now because of the 17th game. So but around 500 to me is 8 and 9, 9 and 8, 10 and 7. Yeah. So I do think that they'll finish better than that. I'm with you. I think we were just talking about it off air when we talked about, or maybe it was on the podcast. Uh, we were recording another episode just a little bit ago, and we talked about how loaded the AFC is. It's, it is loaded, and I think that's part of the issues with uh, with the Patriots here. So fantasy finish. Golly, we're already getting fantasy finishes and projections. Uh, you were right. This episode is going to go quick. Well, uh, also, technically – you're not wrong. They could finish at 500 if they went 8-8 eight, eight and had a tie. Or maybe 7-7 seven and seven with three ties. You forget the tie could be the great equalizer here. That is true. Uh, I still don't think the ties helped them get into the playoffs. So the, the AFC is, I mean, it was loaded last year, and I don't see many of these teams taking a step back. I mean, AFC North is really good. I think the AFC West has a chance to be really good. AFC South, not so much. And the AFC East, you know, I, I think the Bills are going to be But even in the South, you have a couple of teams. Colts and Titans were playoff teams yeah. last year. You wouldn't be shocked if both made it back. Yeah. All right. So, again, fantasy finishes and, and projections. Already 15 minutes into the show, and we're already fantasy finishes and projections for the for the New England Patriots. Uh, Newton struggled in the passing, but his rushing helped him to QB 16 last year. How many games does he start for you in 2021 before we see Mac Jones take over? Cam Newton did finish again as QB 16, 2,657 passing yards with eight touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 592 rush yards, 12 touchdowns. Dennis said he thinks Cam starts, but Belichick knows Cam is a short-term solution. Mac will be getting playing time, possibly even taking over as the starter before the season is over. Yeah, and I think that's certainly the case. The Patriots are one of the teams that have a, an incredibly late bye week. I believe they're one of the week 14 buys, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, it's possible you get all the way to the bye week and make a change, but then you're talking about really throwing Mac Jones in as a Hail Mary with three games left saying, hey, can you salvage our season? I tend to feel like it's going to be – if they're not where they want to be or they think they need a spark, it's going to be around Halloween. Yeah. So let me see. I guess I could have done that while I was listening to you talk, pull up their schedule and see how that kicks off. Cause I do think that if they start off the season poor again, I would say there's almost no way that he doesn't. Cause I did see a quote from, um, take well, it and you also, 
you also have to think about what they're going to look like. So Halloween Day, they play at the Chargers. The following week, uh, November, would be at the Panthers, then home for the Browns, at the Falcons, home for the Titans, at the Bills. So maybe, you know, October 24th sits out there. It's kind of a fat date. You'd be at home against the Jets. Uh, could be end up to two rookies. But I feel like a little bit of the beginning part of their season, they have the Dolphins to open. That's a little tougher. They go to the Jets, a winnable game. Saints is going to be tough. The Tom Brady homecoming is going to be tough. But then you're at the Texans, probably winnable. Home versus the Cowboys, potentially winnable. Jets, a potentially winnable game. At the Chargers, you know, that one's a little tougher, but potentially winnable. And that's where they're around 500. They're hanging into the playoff picture. I don't know if they're super quick to make a change. Um, But that October 24th against the Jets, I could see that being an easier place to slot him in. Um, It's tough to make your first start on the road. That's the only thing that it looks like kind of when you get to – Halloween and early November there on the road a couple of times. I wouldn't personally want Mac Jones first start to be against the Browns who I think are going to be a playoff team, but you know, that's an early November game. So probably for me, you're looking somewhere between October 24th and November 7th. If they don't do what they like. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I actually would probably agree with you there. What do you think? Huh? So where do you think both these guys finished in fantasy? I feel like you can't really draft either, at least redraft. Not, not just not for redraft. redraft here. Yeah, yeah. I we're when we finish doing our team previews, we're going to go through our our twenty twenty one rankings. So I have started to think about that and look at that. But the Patriots, I'm strongly considering as a team that I don't have a quarterback in the top thirty two which I think was the case last year because when we did the rankings, yeah. Newton wasn't on the team and I didn't have a great feeling about Stidham. Yeah. I think Stidham was probably my last one with, um, unfortunately Ryan Fitzpatrick and that turned out to be way wrong. Cause I did not expect him to be that good. Kind of reminds me of the bears situation last year where you thought Trubisky and Foles would both play and one of them would put up okay numbers, but it was hard to put anyone above yeah. maybe a, a spot 32. All right, running back. We all know on this podcast who I love in this backfield, and that is Damian Harris. Um, He was the runner while Watt was the receiver, and now Stevenson is in the mix and possibly Sony Michelle. Who is the better fantasy finisher in the backfield? Do you trust anyone? Damian Harris finishes RB53 last year, 153 carries, 691 yards, two touchdowns, five receptions. 52 yards, James White, RB42, 35 carries for 121 yards, two touchdowns, 49 receptions, 375 yards, and one touchdown. Dennis did add, if I had to take a shot on a New England running back, Harris is the guy, 200 carries, 865 yards, five touchdowns, seems reasonable, puts him on the RB2-3 borderline. I think James White finishes the highest because he's going to be the pass catching guy. And whether it's, uh, you know, Newton actually did use pass catching running backs because Burkhead and White kind of split the season last year. If we remember White, um, you know, the personal tragedy was out. Burkhead was actually in there, was pretty involved for a while. That's one of the reasons I think we saw James White fall off of that 
uh, low-end RB2, high-end RB3 territory where he'd been. I think he bounces back into that place. They like his skill set. He fits that offense. Damian Harris, I don't disagree with Dennis's potential projection for carries and yardage. I think Sony Michelle is kind of fading out of the picture. I just don't think Harris – we talked about Harris seems to be the guy between the 20s to run the ball, but he's not a big receiver, and when they get in the goal line, they were using Cam Newton. I think that's part of the reason they took Ramondre Stevenson uh, is they're looking for bodies down there. They also have a couple of bigger tight end bodies so that they can throw down there. I just don't think Harris gets the touchdowns, which is what puts him in the RB3-4 territory. Yeah, I think that – when they brought Stevenson on, I think that's the biggest thing that possibly hurts Harris because I think they'll use him as that goal line back, almost an a la LeGarrette Blunt situation they used a couple years. Now, look, Blunt did get a lot of carries as well, uh, but I do think that that's going to hurt him. I was trying to pull it up because I want to say that I'm remembering this correctly. I want to say that like yards per carry, Damian Harris was one of the best in the NFL last year. Like he was actually a very effective rusher. There was a game where he really kind of started going off in the um it was a game I know cuz I needed him to and then he ended up getting injured. He put up like 50 yards on just a couple carries in that game uh and then ended up getting hurt. It was may have been with a concussion or something. I can't quite remember, but ended up getting pulled out of that game. But I, 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 I think I want I really want to say Harris is going to be the best one. I really do. But I think pass catching wise, I think you're right. James White with the receptions he's going to get and then not getting the touchdowns. If that doesn't happen for Harris, it's, it's really going to hurt him. It, he's, he's going to end up getting hurt in the, in fantasy points, but not scoring touchdowns. Yeah. Damian Harris was 13 in yards per carry. Now hold on. They have one, two, There were two quarterbacks in there, so 11th among running backs, five so, yards yeah, per I mean, that's, that's not bad. For as limited as he was to in, in the injuries and not getting a lot of uh, not getting a lot of playing time early, too. So Sony Michelle is the interesting one because I, I, I don't think they cut him until – I think this is the last year of his rookie contract, so I wonder yeah. if they just let him go after the contract. I, I would imagine that. They, they, they declined his fifth-year option, right? Yeah, and I think yeah. if they cut him, it's not a massive cap hit, but they're one of those teams that doesn't have – I think they're cap, they still have, I think, decent cap room, but not a lot after the spending spree that you mentioned they went on earlier. So I, I don't think they cut him. How involved will he be? I'm not really sure. I think it's mostly going to be – although I wouldn't be surprised if it's Harris, Michelle, and White, and then uh, Stevenson doesn't become a guy till next year. Maybe they kind of keep him in the background and then make him a major role player next year. My first thought, though, is the same as you when they took Stevenson is they watched how they were like basically the Patriots were the most predictable team in the history of time when they got in close at the goal line last year. They didn't have anyone who they were going to throw to. They lined up in some kind of funky three or four tight end, three or four tackle set, and they suicided Cam Newton into the line. My first thought when they took Stevenson was they don't want to do that every time because I actually think that – Hurt Newton too. That's a lot of punishment to be, you know, just pile driven into a line. It worked a couple of times. It worked against him a couple of times. I think that was part of the impetus for getting a couple of big body tight ends that you have an option to actually throw a short pass and to get another big body running back to pound into. Yeah. So I, I feel like I did not 
answer the question. I am going to go Harris. I know Matt said White. I, I am. I'm going to lean Harris. I just maybe it's because I have so many shares of him, but I really I believe that he can be a very effective running back for them this year. The wide receiver group is, I think, interesting is a kind way to put it. So Aguilar, Bourne, Jacoby Myers, and Nikhil Harry. Are there any of those guys that you want to play or have on your team? Myers finishes wide receiver 53 last year, 59 receptions, 729 yards. Dennis added that with the addition of two pass-catching tight ends and two wide receivers, Myers will have to take a big step to improve his numbers. Marquise Brown was wide receiver uh, 36 last season. The difference, Hollywood had an 8-0 advantage in touchdowns. Brown had one less catch and only 60 more yards than Myers. If you can add him for a third rounder, I think he's a steal. Yeah, that's if he if he retains his role. I was interested. Uh, the signing of Kendrick Bourne was kind of a little bit of a lower profile receiver to come in. Nelson Aguilar, a little bit of a lower profile receiver to come in. They didn't really add any receivers in the draft, which I thought they might do. I don't think Nikhil Harry's ever going to become anything. I agree. I, so I don't think they're – I wouldn't be shocked if they don't have a single wide receiver who finishes in above a wide receiver four. Ooh, I was going to say three. I think one gets to wide receiver three territory, but I wouldn't be surprised. None, I mean, none did last year. Yeah. Well, that, but we're we're also talking about. We think Mac Jones takes over. At what was that about halfway? Is is Halloween, roughly? Yeah, Halloween. So I mean, I think there'll be a little bit more pass heavy, just because I think at this point, I would say I think Mac Jones is probably a little bit of a better passer than Cam Newton. The shoulder injuries again. I I don't know how much of that was injuries, not knowing the playbook, COVID that affected Cam Newton last year. We didn't quite look like the passer we've seen in the past. So I think Mac Jones could be a little bit of a better passer. So if that's the case, maybe one of those guys jumps up to wide receiver. So who do you think finishes as their best receiver? I'm going to say Aguilar. I, I don't feel great lean, about it, but I'm going to say I Aguilar. want to lean Myers, but I think Aguilar too. I, I believe in what he did last year with the Raiders. And yeah. I mean, that's the one thing we've seen Cam can do. He can still sling the deep ball, and, and he was fairly good with it with the Panthers. Now, again, we didn't get to see it much last year. They, I mean, Demir Bird, I think, had some good games with the Patriots last year, but nothing that like set the world on fire. And I think Aguilar is better than Demir Bird. So, I think I'm with you. I think just based on him being able to possibly get those big plays and some touchdowns, it could end up being Aguilar. And they're another team that's been rumored to get Julio Jones. And if they did that, that would change my perception of probably the Patriots for the season and their, you know, their past receivers. Cause Julio yeah. Jones isn't going to finish outside of probably wide receiver two range. That's what I was going to say. So if they do get Julio, I, I agree. Wide receiver two at the, at worst. Yeah, probably. The tight ends. I mean, there's been much to talk here for New England. Everybody was excited. You know, I, I had um on the Camps to Canton podcast with Colin Decker, who was hosting it, had me and Felix on right before free agency. And I actually, interestingly enough, called both of these tight ends landing there. Now, I wasn't sure both would actually go there. I was like, I think both are a great fit for the New England offense and what they like to do. 
Smith and Henry were both top tight end free agents. What do you expect from them, though, in New England? Hunter Henry last year with the Chargers, tight end 12, 60 receptions, 613 yards and four touchdowns. John New Smith, tight end 16, 41 receptions, 448 yards, eight touchdowns, did sit out a couple games due to injury. Dennis said that he expects both tight ends uh, to be in tight end 10 to 18 range with Janu being the higher of the two. I agree with that. I think McDaniels for is not a good head coach, but I still believe he's a good offensive coordinator. I think if he, I think he will use Janu the way we were hoping Tennessee would continue to use him. Uh We saw them use him in ways at time in the rushing game and everything. Uh, but they only would do it. It seemed like a handful of times throughout the year. I think they will use John that way. I think he finishes higher over Hunter Henry. How do you have the tight end shaking out? Yeah. Instantly people were trying to say they're, they're trying to, to reach back to the, when they drafted Gronkowski and Hernandez and having kind of the offense run through the tight ends and seeing what their receiving core is, seeing that they don't have a truly dominant running back. That makes some sense. It does seem like they spent money there. They're making it a focal point. Each of them got at least a three-year contract. Henry got a three-year deal, four years, uh, 50 for Johnny Smith. I don't think they're quite at that level. As much as you'd like to get excited about that potential, I don't see them finishing that heyday of Gronk and Hernandez was incredible. Rob Gronkowski was by far and away the best tight end in football for several years. I don't think either of these guys uh, makes it. We've seen them both play for a couple of years. I tend to think they're both going to finish in the 12 to 16 range. I think Henry finishes slightly higher. Interesting. Is that because touchdown catches? What what do you think separates them? No, I think Johnny probably does better on touchdowns as he did in the past, but I think Henry ends up with more receptions, more yards. All right. I mean, and like I was saying earlier, I mean, Cam Newton, when he had Greg Olson, Greg Olson was a stud for him. So if he does end up leaning on one of these guys, if he if he plays most of the season. Uh, and that is in Newton. I, I would not be surprised if one of these guys finishes even higher than uh, I think Dennis said, tied in 10 to 18. Yeah. I, I mean, if Cam starts clicking with one of these guys, I, I could go as high as like eight or nine. I, I really think that they could have a, a high end. Well, I guess it's not high end, low end tight end one. And see if they would have taken one free agent tight end. I, yeah. I think they probably would have been a top eight for me, but having both of them, I think they'll lead into each other a little bit. All right, so that does it for the Patriots. On to everybody's new favorite team, the New York Jets. They finished 2-14 and and in fourth place in 2020. Their key additions, they brought over wide receivers Corey Davis uh, from the Titans and Keelan Cole from the Jags. Tevin Coleman, the running back, tight end Tyler Croft, the defensive end Carl Lawson, defensive tackle Sheldon Rankins, and linebacker Gerard Davis. Their key losses, they trade Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers. Joe Flacco goes to Philly. Saw some videos of elite Joe Flacco today throwing the ball with Zach Wilson, actually. Uh, And then they added Rashad Perriman, the wide receiver. Draft picks, they took Zach Wilson in the first round. Elijah Vera Tucker, the offensive guard in the first round. Elijah Moore, the wide receiver in the second. And Michael Carter, the running back in the fourth round. Adam Gase is gone. Hallelujah. They bring in Robert Salah. What should we expect from them in year one? I think they're going to be a lot more fun team to watch. It's interesting if you would have 
probably told us a year ago that we were going to do a preview show on the Patriots and the Jets and the Jets would be the team we were more excited to talk about. I would have told you you were crazy, but that's just where it's gone. Uh, you know, Patriots a fine organization. I think they're going to be a more vanilla offense. I'm curious to see what this can do. Salah always had a lot of great intensity when he was in San Francisco. I think he's going to do some great things with the Jets defense. They're a little bit to me like the Jaguars. I don't think they're going to have an incredibly successful team that, or a season this year in terms of wins, but they're going to be a heck of a lot of fun to watch. Probably the biggest question for me, you know, we've, People have been all over the board on Zach Wilson as a prospect, um, but I think he has some potential. I tend to agree with you. It's been a little bit unfair the way they've made fun of him being a little bit of a more quiet, laid-back guy. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but New York isn't the ideal place for that kind of a personality, and I think that's going to be a real – Tess, we know New York fans, New York media, not exactly the most forgiving uh, out there. There are probably worse places for forgiving level of fans, maybe like a Philadelphia. But there's going to be a lot of pressure on Zach Wilson. There's a lot of expectation on Zach Wilson. They're kind of building all around him. And there's a lot of young pieces and everybody trying to learn. I think there's going to be a learning curve. And I just hope that he's given the time and the grace to see what he can do. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've talked about it before. Back when the Browns were searching for their head coach last year and the final interviews were coming down to Salah and Kevin Stefanski, and those were my two favorite. I, I said if they cannot get Stefanski, it was somebody else too, and I can't remember. I think it was McDaniels. And everybody in Cleveland was wanting McDaniels, and I, I was standing on every hill yelling from every rooftop that I could – Give us Stefanski or Salah, because I would have loved Salah with the defense that they had and then the players that they've even added now onto this defense. I'm with you. I love him. I love the fire he showed on that 49ers sideline. And even more so the way the players talked about it. I mean, most players don't say bad or negative things about coaches to begin with, but just the passion and the love that those guys showed the 49ers did when they talked about Salah. I mean, even Richard Sherman today, who's not even really – he's not with the 49ers anymore, right? I'm not misremembering no, he's, that. Uh, okay. He's a free agent still. He even talks about how much he loves playing for Salah. So I, I think he's going to do great things there. You know, I do like that Kyle Shanahan tree. We talked a little bit about, um, as I already mentioned, we recorded an, another podcast earlier. Matt LaFleur now being there as the offensive coordinator. He learned under Kyle Shanahan. We've seen what my, uh, Matt LaFleur, Mike LaFleur. I always mix those two up. I do it every time. Matt LaFleur, we've seen the offenses he's running in Green Bay, and it's been very interesting, I think, and effective. Granted, they have Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones. So take that for what it's worth. But I think the pieces that they're putting together in New York and, and the offense in Salah altogether I think is going to be a lot of fun. You mentioned Zach Wilson kind of being the big question for you. What are your expectations or what are your thoughts on him uh, for this year, can he thrive in New York? You know, you just mentioned the the media part of it. You know, I'm with you. I've been very, I know, I don't dislike Zach Wilson. I, I've been very open in the fact that I think he is a lower end prospect for me uh, than the other guys. But I have really kind of come around on him with the way that other people have been talking about him and making fun of him. I've really kind of been like, you know what? I really want Zach Wilson to thrive because I want him to be able to shut all of these people up with the way that they make fun of him for how quiet and shy he's been. And that's the thing. He's going to have to 
prove it on the field. Um, he they've built a good core of young weapons around him. I think it's a decent offensive scheme. Uh, but the Jets have a little bit of a long way uh, to go. I expect he's going to have a decent season. I think when I was looking at the schedule, I believe it's week 16, we get to see the Jets versus the Jaguars. I'm really excited to see hopefully both he and Lawrence uh, are going to be there at their peak, kind of get to see them play against each other. Week one's going to be really fun. The Jets travel to Carolina. It's going to be a fascinating experience to see what Sam Darnold is out there trying to do with his new team while Wilson kind of begins his era with the Jets. I hope he can do well. Um, like I said, my one concern for him personally would be, it seems from his personality style, that that's the kind of player that we've seen big markets like New York abuse in the past. And I hope he's given a little bit of a chance and a little bit of grace. The fan base seems really excited about the franchise and the direction they're going. And so that gives me some hope. Uh, so I would like to say thank you. Uh, Super Curly One commented um, on Twitch. We we appreciate that. Uh, we don't get a – I don't know if you're one of the – there's always a couple that are always watching on Twitch, and I, we, I very much appreciate the the love and the shout-out. You know, I, I appreciate you comparing us to Serena and Venus. I, I don't know if I'd go that far. Maybe, you know, the – I'm trying to think of some, like – you know, sports talk people I was trying to think of, you know, but uh, I, I appreciate it. Oakland Raiders. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see what the, what the Raiders will, the, the Raiders will do this year. I think I was high on them last year. I actually had them making the playoffs and they obviously kind of, kind of crumbled there toward the end. And then I'm sure Matt agrees with your last statement there that John Elway is the most underrated quarterback of all time. I know my favorite, uh, my favorite all time Bronco. All right, so let's get into the fantasy finishes and projections for the New York Jets. Uh, we talked um, a little bit there about Wilson and, and, again, him being here with New York, but what do you expect out of him in year one? We saw, you know, Sam Darnold struggle at times, and I think, in all honesty, they're very close, at least personality-wise. Sam Darnold was kind of that quiet guy there, and we saw the way the media kind of handled him. Do you think that affects his play at all on the field? What do you expect at him? Any shot at rookie of the year, or are you going to have him ranked for your quarterbacks in 2021? I mean, I think he has a chance at rookie of the year. We talked about it kind of favoring um, quarterbacks in the past. It's really going to depend on what he puts up. I think they have a little bit of a younger set of weapons and a difference between him and Trevor Lawrence is I don't know if I would say they have a dominant wide receiver one um, that you can count on. I also think they're going to be more of a little bit of a running offense. They might be a little bit more of a low scoring. We want to play defense and which can be helpful with a younger quarterback to be a little conservative. I think he's going to be more of a mid to low QB two this year. Yeah, I think I've got him. So my dynasty rankings, I actually, I think, moved him up a little bit. So my dynasty rankings, I moved him up to 14. Uh, redraft, I haven't finished my redraft, but I'll probably have him right around the same. I think 14 to 15. I do like the weapons that they brought in. I, I do think they're clearly trying to help build around him and give him as much talent as possible to help his game out. I'm with you. Hopefully they kind of slow build it and, and kind of work the offense, work at his skill set. You know, he did not play the best competition last year in college, but I don't think that's going to affect him that much. You know, we've seen guys like Carson Wentz who came out of, of North Dakota 
come in and and do great things their rookie season. So I don't I don't want to use that competition thing as, as a, a thing that he can't succeed. But I'll be interested to see what they do do with that offense and if they're able to with the weapons they have around him kind of help him succeed. But again, mid range quarterback too is kind of where I'm leaning for him as well. The running backs added Coleman, they drafted Carter, they still have P. Ryan there, and they added uh, the veteran Ty Johnson. Uh, that's all for you, Dennis. Who leads the backfield, and what is their fantasy value? P. Ryan finishes RB78 in just 10 games last year, 64 carries, 232 yards, two touchdowns, 11 receptions for 63 yards. Dennis said P. Ryan is his sleeper uh, to lead the backfield, could also be fourth on the depth chart. Uh, he believes that P. Ryan is the forgotten man with the signing of Cole and the drafting of Carter. Cheap, low-risk flyer at this point. Yeah, P. Ryan's probably the biggest question mark. I think Tevin Coleman we both saw as kind of the veteran who ha- he played with uh, LaFleur both in Atlanta and in San Francisco, knows the system, has upside. It's interesting to me that all three of those guys seem a little bit similar and that they – are decent runners and also are a little bit of pass catchers. So it'd be hard to pigeonhole anybody into a certain role. But to me, that is a little bit what we've seen with San Francisco the last few years. They have a committee of running backs who can all do it. Um, You know, so that when you have injuries or guys that go out, you can easily step up and replace them. I mean, we've seen them go four and five deep in San Francisco. That makes a little bit of sense. My, my initial impression was that I thought Coleman would be a guy they're leaning on at the beginning of the season, and he's going to end up splitting with somebody. I loved Carter going into the draft. I liked him more than you did. There's just something about him. I loved the landing spot and the potential. And I would agree with Dennis that he's probably being overdrafted in rookie drafts right now, especially with how shallow the position of running back is and so he, you know, should he be going the mid to late first round? Probably not. Have I personally taken him there? I, you bet your sweet butt, I have. Um, in places where I'm desperate for a running back, I think Carter ends up being the leading leading rusher. I think Coleman ends up second. I've just kind of, I want to believe in Pirine. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, I haven't taken Carter. I I took him in one. It was a a rookie depleted draft because it's Devi pick. Yeah. So like the there the the picks that were available, like Carter was like literally the third best player on the board, and I took him in like the sixth pick in the first round. I had two first round picks. So, um, but uh, you know, you could also say the same thing. A lot of people are overdrafting Trey Sermon because of where he landed as well. So, I, but I think a lot of that speaks to what these guys have done. They they truly build around the running backs and make these offenses good for all running backs. I'm with you. I think Carter is going to end up being the better one because while I do agree all three are exact same and they probably brought in Coleman because he knows the system, I feel like Carter is just a tad bit better than both of them. I mean, Coleman has struggled with injuries, has not been consistent. I will say that I would flip the other two. I think P. Ryan is going to end up being the second guy because I just don't trust Coleman to stay healthy, and that's really the only reason why. I think Coleman is going to be assuming health as the game one kicks off the starter because he knows the system. I think he's going to have that step up on Carter and P Ryan, 
but I do think eventually he's going to get hurt. And because of what Carter and Piran do, I don't think they give the job back to Coleman. I also think Carter's a better pass catcher than the other two overall, which I think could help out Zach Wilson a lot as well. You know, he had a running back at BYU, Tyler Algier, who was a really good pass catcher as well. He thrived with him at BYU last year. And if they can implement any kind of those um, games or those, those plays into their game plan, using Michael Carter there as the running back instead of uh, Coleman or God, what I forget. Right. Uh, I think he could be really good, especially what, again, what we saw with Algier out of uh, BYU. My phone just completely decided to close out of the sheet there. We are about to talk about the wide receivers. So, oh, yep. So uh, wide receivers that they bring back, Jamison Crowder was wide receiver 39 last year, uh, 59 receptions, 699 yards, six TDs. Denzel Mims, who was a second-round pick, I believe, last year, finished his wide receiver 106, limited to eight games uh, because of injury, had 23 receptions for 357 yards. Dennis said about Crowder, he's not sold, he makes the team will kind of depend on how Elijah Moore looks, uh, whether he gets cut. Also wouldn't be surprised to see Crowder go to New England and, and be a takeover for Edelman. Uh, for Mims, he said, I love the talent, will struggle with efficiency, but was a, but wide receiver four is within reach. The Jets also made big moves this offseason. They signed Corey Davis, who had 92 targets, 65 receptions uh, last year for the Titans. Uh, and they drafted Elijah Moore. Yeah, so Crowder, how do you feel about him? Because he has been the talk of the town. Really. It seems like everybody is on board of him likely being cut before the season starts. Do you expect that to happen as well? I I think it's going to depend on what it, uh, what Mims is looking like in development and what Moore is looking like in development. Because you have to remember – Elijah Moore, rookie. Corey Davis is a veteran with experience that they gave plenty of money, but he's also a guy who's adjusting to a new system and a new team, and we've seen that take a little bit. Crowder was a pretty reliable, steady veteran and also a pretty reliable and steady security blanket. And if you have a young wide receiver, the reason everyone is hot that Crowder could be the one to go is it's only a million dollars um, for them to release him, only a million-dollar cap hit, which – you know, I'd love to have a million dollars, but it's not a huge cap hit when you're talking about the NFL. They also have Keelan Cole somewhere deep down the depth chart that they could raise up. They have a couple of other guys who were kind of role players in there last year. I wouldn't shock me if they cut Crowder. It also wouldn't shock me if they keep him. He's probably the a good veteran presence too. I expect Davis at some point to become the number one this year. I think they signed him for that. I think he's been emerging. I think this is going to be a good shot. More, I like probably the most for the future. I'm bummed about Mims. I loved the pick last year. I loved the potential. Didn't really come together last year, and now they've added so many other receivers. I just think that hurts his potential ceiling. I think Mims could be helped bringing over Davis. I don't think Davis is a real true one, but I think that's what they want him to be, which could end up helping out Mims a little bit. I'm with you. I think obviously Moore is going to be the deciding factor in what they do with Crowder. If it really is only a million dollars to cut him and let him go, I wouldn't be surprised if they do because I think his salary is quite extensive. It's up there, and they just brought in, again, Corey Davis and paid him a lot of money. I don't know if I 
I, I don't think this defense is going to be horrible, but I, I do think that they'll pass a decent amount to keep at least someone relevant. Would you – how high do you think one of these wide receivers can go and which one do you think it'll be? I think it's going to be Corey Davis in the wide receiver three range topping out. Um, to answer your Crowder question, if they keep him, his space salary is $10 million plus a $1 million signing bonus. So it's a cap hit of $11.3 million. It's a $1 million cap hit to let him go. Yeah, so it makes even more sense to let him go. That's probably the argument right now, unless you yeah. thought he was going to be your best guy. I attended for the, for 2021. I think it's going to be Davis in a wide receiver three range. Uh, yeah, I think it might end up being Davis as well. Especially, I mean, if he can continue the production he had last year with uh, with Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans, I mean, I, I do think that he could be good for this offense. I, I think really any of the Jets are a fantasy value right now. I can't imagine any of these guys are going that high in any of the drafts. Chris Herndon, he is good. No, I was just looking at, I was agreeing with you. Corey Davis was wide receiver 30 last year uh, with the Titans. So I would uh, say that's probably about right. Close to it. Yeah. Chris Herndon is a guy that Dennis and myself have been hoping would break out for, it feels like the last two or th- at least two or three years now. Is this finally the year for Herndon to break out? Finishes tight end 33 last year, 31 receptions, 287 yards, and three touchdowns. Dennis does look like he's jumping off the train, though. He Oh, never mind. He says, are we doing this again? Yes, we are. Tight end 14 through 18. I think I might agree with that. I don't think there's any way he makes it to a top 12 tight end. But if you can get 13 through 18, I mean... There's no way he's being drafted early. I'm pretty sure everybody has bailed. Yep. There's, there's only so got to be two guys. I pulled it up in, uh, in PPR. He's currently going as tight end 35. That's his ADP, about 234 overall. To me, that makes him a fantastic value. I agree. I don't know if I go as high as 14, but even if you're talking about like tight end 16 to 20, which probably feels safer, I think he has potential, but – they do have a lot of receivers. They have a lot of receiving running backs. The big knock was, you know, the best ability is availability, and he was available last year, and it didn't seem to make a difference. But the Jets' offense was so bad, I'm willing to discount that a little bit. I still think that he can finish, you know, tight end 15 to 20. That's where I, Dennis asked a good question, defined the year top 10 or top yeah. 20. I think if he's in if he's in top 20, if he's a solid tight end too, you're coming back to getting closer to the hopes you had for him. And he might be somebody who could grow with a young quarterback, grow with the offense after a couple of kind of lost years. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the fact that you just said he's going as tight end 35 off the board, if he can get tight end 20 value, that's a massive steal. I mean, that's that's one of your last picks in a draft. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we thought he was gonna be so good last year. The Joe, you know, we we there's two people who drafted him last year in our redraft league. That was uh which was always <laughs> funny on sleepers. So yeah, I I, I think at best you are probably right. Like highest upside i'm talking about like the perfect season he probably finishes around tight end 15 but likely best chance scenario he finishes around tight end 20 we'll see i mean look matt bushman was 
really good at BYU with Zach Wilson until he got injured. Um, I think, you know, Zach Wilson did rely on those tight ends when he was in college. So if Herndon can go out there and stay healthy, it also seemed like Herndon was, Herndon was just in Gase's doghouse too. Like it, it, there was a lot of weird yeah. stuff that was going on with Herndon. I feel like life. everyone was in Gase's doghouse though. It might've just been wow, that's true. Gase, I think Gase that's just a Gase thing. Yeah, he, he doesn't like anybody except for like the players that none of us care about. So, and they the Jets took an interesting um, rookie undrafted free agent. They signed Kenny Yaboa uh, at tight end. So, I'll be curious. Like, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was we'll interesting. See. I was looking. They still have Ryan Griffin, uh, who feels like he was, and they signed Tyler Croft from Buffalo. So I was remembering they kind of made tight end a little bit crowded. I, I still like Herndon's potential, but it, those are the kind of things that would be yeah, small red flags. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that will do it. As Matt, Matt said, I believe, last week, or maybe it was off air, the show would not make it to an hour because there wasn't much to talk about. He's right. We're at about 52 minutes, and I don't know that there's like eight well, minutes. Well, we did 10 minutes on the weather, so. And that's true. Oh, God, that's even worse. I will say, hey, next week, next Thursday. Uh, so we'll be back on Monday talking about. It's got to be the I'm NFC South. So it's going to be the Buccaneers and the Saints. And then we will finish with the Panthers. And, and why am I forgetting the last team? Falcons. Falcons. There we go. So we but get to talk some Kyle Pitts next week. Not only that. Just double checking. Pretty sure my wife doesn't have anything set up in here. We might even be able to talk a little bit about Loki, which drops on Wednesday next week. I might have to watch it without her to do that, which might cause some issues. But, you know, we're then going to be going to Disney afterwards, so I can probably smooth it over. We'll see. We'll see. I don't want to make any promises, but she does love the character of Loki, as do I. Tom Hiddleston is just amazing, an amazing actor. But Loki drops next week. Matt and myself usually talk about those shows, but then the week after I'll be in Disney. So maybe we'll try and squeeze uh, the first episode in uh, and when talk about that on Thursday. But other than that, everybody uh, enjoy your weekend. We will again, be back on Monday to talk about the NFC South with Dennis on Monday, Matt and myself. Prepare for glory. I don't know if you got your pop.